Just tell us what we do Light them up, drink them down Whiskey and cigars all around Cheers, y'all That sounds like a party about to happen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine radio program, podcast, and video extravaganza known internationally as the world-famous Smoking and Toasting. Today marks our 323rd episode, our third episode in radio syndication, uh, but most importantly, our first reunion in quite a while with our special guest, our Smoking and Toasting cocktail expert, the one and only Chris Morris. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Uh, I'm just glad I'm uh, allowed to be back on. Well, it was touch and go there for a while, but uh, but we're glad to have you back. Glad to be back. And you know, now that we're uh, on the radio, there are certain, you know, words that you can't say. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope this won't inhibit you too much. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Adam in the cloud will be doing a bit of editing. I, I, have, I have a suspicion. Uh, today is cocktail <clears throat> time with Chris Morris. Chris will be making a special cocktail for us on the show, and we're very excited about that. In fact, I have no idea what you're making. Do you have an idea what you're making? Not really. Okay, good. That's 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 how we like it. No teaser uh, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have a few other things we can tease you about. I was in uh, New Orleans. Uh, a couple of weekends ago and was able to bring back with me not only the cigar that I'll be talking about today, but uh, also a New Orleans exclusive, or not New Orleans exclusive, but a Louisiana exclusive beer uh, from Abita Brewing Company. Now, Abita Abita has uh, beers that are available in many other states, but this particular one is sold only in Louisiana. It's called The Boot which is named after the shape of the state of Louisiana, which looks kind of like a boot. And it's a Louisiana-exclusive Kolsch that we will be sampling on the program today. Uh, Also from Lagunitas Brewing Company in Petaluma, California, we'll be trying their Island Beats. It's a tropical IPA. So I'm pretty psyched about that because I love that genre. And then... It's hard not to be excited about this one. Prairie Artisan Ales out of Oklahoma City. You have me at Prairie. Yeah, okay. Well, it gets even better. Uh, They have a barrel-aged imperial stout that we'll be trying today. And it uh, borrows the phrase from uh, uh, Star Wars, The Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. So we'll be trying there. This is the way. Barrel-aged Imperial Stout on the program today. Also, cocktails from Chris Morris. We'll uh, update you on some uh, cigars to watch for. We are going to get political, kind of, sort of, but only for a tiny bit, just for a second, because it's important. And then uh, Cuba facing the smallest tobacco crop in history oh, wow. this year. So guess what? Those $100 Cubans, yeah, they're going to be three. Oh, there'll be three hundred Cubans oh. uh, before long. But anyway, we'll tell you about that. A lot of a lot of other stuff going on, and of course, we will be bringing you what has become the most popular segment on the program, and that would be drinking news. And our drinking news teaser headline for today: I've got the moves like Jagger. And we'll look forward to that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so anyway, welcome, welcome to the show. It is so great to have uh, Chris here. We it's been a while since we had you on, and uh, we are excited about seeing you now. And then hoping that you'll also be back for show number three hundred thirty-three, which is currently scheduled for June nineteenth, and that will be our big anniversary show where we invite everybody who's ever been it's on the show. Be crazy. And it's gonna it, it, it it's is gonna be it a is on the calendar. All right, very very good. I'm hoping so. So, uh, Ian, uh, interesting week, and I want to get to our little political. Thing. Thing here we do our very best on this show uh to really stay out of the arena of politics there's plenty of shows that do that and they do it well and one of the things i've always noticed about being 
at a cigar lounge and sitting with other guys smoking cigars is you have every stripe. You know, you have Democrats and Republicans, you have conservatives and liberals and mm -hmm. libertarians and everyone. Like you're all there for the common purpose of enjoying your cigar and just just kind of hanging out and chatting. And it seems at least the places I go, there may be exceptions, at least the places I go, the whole political thing seems not to matter so much. Right. Right. But there is a piece of politics we have to delve into because it is like pretty funny to me in the hypocrisy scale. There's a representative. <laughs> Wait, politics? And yeah, hypocrisy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're going to oh. love this. So the, so I don't know if you've what? heard about this, but Anheuser-Busch <clears throat> has been taking some heat because they uh, signed up a, a spokesperson for Bud Light. That is a trans uh, activist. Okay. Okay. So there's a certain group of people who think that's wonderful. There's a certain group of people who got a real problem with that. And they're speaking up and they're talking about boycotting Bud Light. And all. now I can assure you, Anheuser-Busch may not know how to make a very good beer, but they know how to market. And I know that they have done their research and they know how big the pushback will be and whether it was worth it or not for them to do this. I can guarantee you they've taken all of that into account before they made any of these moves because nobody does anything there by accident. It's all planned and focus grouped and, and all of that, yeah. right? So so they know there's going to be some pushback and there's going to be some people who are boycotting them for this. And by the way, if that offends you in some way and you don't want to drink Bud Light, don't drink Bud Light. That's pretty easy. I drink it because I don't drink it because I'm offended, even though it's over a completely different reason. I'm offended because it's so terrible. But but that's not but that's my <laughs> choice, right? Right, right. And just like that would be your choice. But one Texas congressman in a video that he posted to Instagram, Dan Crenshaw, went to his refrigerator, his beer fridge, to make a big deal about how he was going to throw out all the Bud Light in his fridge. So he opens up his refrigerator to throw out all the Bud Light, completely missing the fact that the rest of his refrigerator that wasn't Bud Light was filled with Carbock. <laughs> Anheuser-Busch owned Carbock. Now, I'm not suggesting you should throw the Carbock out. For me, I'm like... Why don't you just not worry about it and enjoy your beer? But but anyway, that's as political as we're going to get. But it, it it maybe he doesn't know. Yeah, everybody knows you don't throw the bock out with the bathwater. There you go. There you go. Perfect wrap up for that. Thank you, Chris. Nice to have you on the program. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, if, hey, here's the thing. You must have a really, really nice life right. if the only thing you got to worry about is who Bud Light has for a spokesperson. Well, and like, just, if that alters your life in some way, Wow. And you know what else? You must you must make a lot more money than I do. Because somebody came over to the house like for a party and they brought some Bud Light and it winds up most of that six pack still in my fridge. At some point, I'm going to drink it. I'm not going to throw it out. <laughs> it may not be my favorite beer time that I'm enjoying when I'm drinking it. But at some point, I am going to drink it because I'm, well, well, you're, you're I'm not going to throw out my butt. You're uh, my, a firm believer in no beer left behind. That's exactly right. And the only beer I can think of that I've ever thrown out is that Dos Equis, uh Mexican Pale Ale. Oh, oh, nice. bueno. that, was, that was no, 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 no. Uh, everything else, I'll, I might put it off until I'm, you know, running really, really low on beer, but yeah. it'll eventually be uh, consumed. So uh, I understand, by the way, uh, that, Chris, you stuck some cool and interesting beers in your cooler that you may pull out today as well. Maybe I did. Okay, good. And, and do you want to tease us at all about what kind of a cocktail you're going to make? 
Uh, well, I believe last time I was here, we were talking about martinis and, and largely we doing some like classic vodka gin comparisons. Yes, yes. Uh, so I brought a very, very modern take on a martini oh. for us. Oh, cool. I'm very excited. And I just want to mention, by the way, we've talked about this numerous times since then. Those olives, those blue cheese stuffed oh, olives man. that you made, those are like the greatest olives I've ever had in my <laughs> those life. Those were amazing. Those were incredible. Do you still do those? Uh, I do not. No, I, okay. I literally did those just for the show. Well, it was it was wildly appreciated. And I got to find out what exactly that blue cheese was so I can try that on my own. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was just so great. So so interesting week all around. Ian, did you have an opportunity to smoke anything I did. interesting? I did. I stopped by Costa and picked up something I hadn't smoked before. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we do a review. It's so it's loosely review. It's just an experience, yeah, really. It's really I more picked your up the Crown Heads Azul y Oro, which is Ooh. Spanish for Azul and Oro. Good. Um, <laughs> loosely translates yes. into uh, thank uh, you, blue and gold. Okay. It's named after uh, the Johnny Walker Blue because the um, uh, the Blenders bought a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue for okay. um, the. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember the whole story. They bought it for the, uh, they bought it as a present for the, uh, uh, the, uh, the gentleman from Oliva Cigars. Well, I'm, and I'm, this cigar ended up with the name, uh, uh, Blue and Gold. So well, I'm used to seeing Azul because it's on many, uh, tequila bottles. Right. Because right. It's blue it's agave. The Blue Agave, yeah. right. So, uh, so the, the wrapper comes with a, uh, Habano Ecuadorian wrapper, uh, a Nicaraguan binder, a Dominican, uh, and Nicaraguan filler. Medium brown in appearance, very few veins, smooth and oily, very oily cigar. Mm. Uh, blue band and gold footer, very firm overall feel. The pre-light sniff on this, the barnyard uh, had fermented hay, leather, coffee at the foot. Um, I used a clip. It had a medium draw, sweet, creamy coffee and chocolate, earth and leather on the lips. Uh, the initial light blast of earth and sweet spices followed closely by bitter chocolate. Retro hail is uh, earthy and spicy. The first third of this draw is medium effort with massive plumes of death and smoke as a reward. Sweet and spicy, rich and earthy flavors include uh, vegetables and a meaty broth. Yes, I mean that. It actually had a very savory kind of flavor to it. Interesting. Uh, toast, cayenne, chicory, espresso bitter dark chocolate and an underlying grainy sweetness the retro hail is toasty and spicy solid ash good burn the second third of the cigar the draw was increasingly difficult so i gently rolled the end between my fingers you know how you do that sometimes right by where you mm -hmm. take a puff roll it between your fingers and it opened it up actually very nicely with a bit more draw i started to pick up some nutty notes along with more rich uh, earth a meaty stew remains in the back uh, background there the uh, retro hail is toasty and uh, chicory coffee, solid ash, good burn. Chicory coffee is a very unusual flavor, and I find it every once in a while in a cigar. It is, and I've heard you mention it before, <laughs> and when you're done, I want to tell you about I learned something about where chicory coffee came from. Okay. So. The last third of this uh, the, has uh, leathery and nutty flavors. Uh, with some spice, sweet and bitter notes weave throughout with an orange or tangerine kind of zest uh, hint in the aftertaste. The nutty uh, notes hint at a cashew kind of sweetness. Earthy flavors abound, and the toasty notes pick up a slight buttery undertone. Full strength on this cigar. It started off kind of as a medium plus, but we're definitely mm -hmm. in full strength territory. You know, it's spicy on the tip of the tongue. The retro hail is sweet, buttery toast, and nutty with a touch of spice. Solid ash, good burn. This cigar came in at $11.95. Cents. And what size was it again? It's a Toro, so it's a Toro, six okay. by fifty. Mm -hmm. Um and that's pretty good. So it smoked a little faster than I expected. It was a little under an hour for a six by fifty. So uh it smoked a little faster than I thought. But I gave it a solid five nice. on our price to quality scale because uh 
because it was a good experience. Very nice. Now, let me tell you a a little bit about uh, chicory while we have just a moment. Um, uh, When I was in New Orleans recently, uh, we took this very interesting historical uh, tour of the French Quarter. And the guy that led it was this really interesting guy who's a history professor at a university there. And he does this uh, tour thing on the side. And he told us the story about chicory coffee. And I may get a part of this wrong, but the gist of it is right. There was a time during uh, some of the uh, wars that were fought over Louisiana and the uh, uh, New Orleans area that um, there was a real shortage of coffee, but it was very popular among the soldiers and the residents of New Orleans, people that were there, they desperately wanted their coffee. So in order to make the coffee they had last, they cut it basically, just like when you cut drugs or something they, they added <laughs> right. they added chicory to the coffee to make to make more of it to make it last longer i was going to say like when you add grain whiskey to malt whiskey to make blended whiskey right you lengthen there you the go. flavor yeah. but well, i'm what, more law-abiding than you apparently well what happened uh and thank you for that uh what happened <laughs> that is objectively uh, false what happened basically was that when the uh when the coffee began flowing again and they could, you know, get their hands on as much as they needed, the citizens of New Orleans spoke up and said, hey, where, where's that flavor that we had gotten used to? And so to this day, you get chicory coffee in yeah. New Orleans. I think you can get regular coffee there, too. Yeah. But chicory coffee, I think, it's, wildly outnumbers it uh, if you go to a coffee Yeah, shop. I mean, that's where I know it from. That's where yeah. I've tried it. Yeah, and it's different. And you can buy it, at least here mm-hmm. in Texas, in our home state, you can buy it at a lot of the uh, grocery stores and stuff. But it's, it's a option. very particular flavor. Oh, yeah, there's, it's very unique. There's yeah, nothing... yeah, once, you, once you taste it, you're like, there's nothing really like that. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing about Except it for that... sometimes you get it in a cigar. <laughs> That's right. And and your cigar was uh tell me how much again? It was um $11.95. And what did you give it in price? I gave it a solid 5 on the price to quality. Solid 5, which for those of you who are solid new five. to the price to quality scale, that basically means uh that he got what he paid for. Solid solid five. solid 5. All right, I'm going to tell you about my cigar when we come back and also we are going to start the tasting. We've been talking a lot about Louisiana. We'll try the boot from Abita Brewing Company next. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. Uh, that was a that was a really good one, Ian. It may have gotten slightly covered up by the uh, by the uh, intro music, but uh, that was that was a really good. Uh, That's okay. I wanted to get in there and yeah. get it done. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, so while Ian's pouring this beer, let me tell you about uh, the cigar that I smoked this week. It was the Elo Geo. Siri LSV Robusto. Uh, and I picked this one up on my recent trip to New Orleans. Elo Gio is a boutique cigar maker that produces a relatively small amount of cigars each year. So you may have to do some looking for this one if you're interested. I got it at Crescent City Cigars in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Elo Gio is a Portuguese word that means praise. The cigars are made in Nicaragua, not in Portugal. Uh, they're made in the town of Samoto, or Samoto which is uh, a little bit to the north of Esteli. Uh, it was an attractive-looking cigar. As you can see here, if you're watching the video feed, a deep brown color, classy band, and the pre-light sniff was very promising. Earth, leather, and deep tobacco notes. Cold draw was much the same with a little barnyard coming through and a hint of citrus. Now, the Siri LSV is a Nicaraguan Puro. So uh, with the wrapper, uh, it uses being a Nicaraguan sun-grown Oscuro and all Nicaraguan uh, tobacco. I'm used to Oscuro tobacco being a little darker than this. Yeah, but, yeah generally but, it's but dark. All good. Uh, so I lit it up with a torch and I got a nice Nicaraguan pepper blast on the very first few puffs. It wasn't too harsh, though. It settled down very quickly to reveal a cigar that I knew right away that I was going to enjoy. 
You, you know that feeling when mm-hmm. you've, you've just got it lit, it just settles down, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> Here we I go. love it. Yeah. Pepper Note was more <clears throat> cayenne than black pepper, but it wasn't overwhelming. Lots of leather on the palate and a growing nuttiness, kind of a hazelnut uh, sort of a vibe to the cigar. Really delicious. Uh, this continued through the first third and into the second, where the pepper started to recede in favor of a creamier vibe. And the hazelnut note, which now with the creaminess started to remind me of a latte with hazelnut syrup. Oh, nice. You know, uh, or, or you ever smell like... Uh, just a coffee where somebody has mm-hmm. has put the hazelnut syrup into it. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Um, anyway, the Elogio had a reasonably straight burn. It didn't show any construction issues. It produced a good quantity of smoke, which coated my tongue in a kind of velvetiness. I don't know if that's a real word or not. Uh, the final third continued with hazelnut and cream with just enough pepper and, uh, and a small tea leaf note. Uh, a really great blending of flavors on this one all the way through. No construction issues and a nice room note as well. Uh, I would peg this one as a genuinely full-bodied cigar, too. This was not medium-full. This was this was full. Great for after a nice steak dinner paired with a full-bodied red wine. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I discovered a gem on this one. It's an 8 to $9 stick, so it's not, like, wildly overpriced. And even though, uh, you know, I saw a review of it online that complained a little about the construction, mine burned perfectly. Uh, it has me wishing I'd bought more of them and in different sizes to try them because it was really good, and I don't see them that often in the particular cigar shops that I uh, frequent. Uh, what's really nice about the Elo Geo is that it does not sacrifice complexity for full-bodiedness. Uh, it makes it right up my alley for my particular palate when it comes to cigars. So with excellent flavors, it was a pleasure to smoke. I recommend it for people who like stronger full-bodied cigars and a caution against it if you like milder smokes. Uh, price to quality, solid six on this baby. Nice. It was very, very so good. punching a little above its weight yeah, class. right. So I got that in Louisiana. I get this beer in Louisiana. And, uh, Ian, have you done any advanced research? I have. What are, what are we dealing with here? Right here on the back, it says, Over 30 years ago, we began brewing for the way we love to live. The boot is a crisp, refreshing brew, proudly made and sold only in Louisiana. Brewed with white wheat, oats, and barley, hopped with uh, Hallerto Blanc, yeah. and fermented with German Kolsch yeast. I can Brewed in the boot for the boot. Um, I can taste the wheat and the yeast. Yeah, it's got a different kind of uh, brightness to the flavor that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Pretty refreshing, kind of a I think. Crisp of. thing. What going do you think, on. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think if you, it, it's got a little bit more of like a like an earthiness. I think like the mm-hmm. the oat and the wheat definitely comes through, right? Like when I think Kolsch, I'm thinking. Um, You're like, thinking almost a little more fruity, right? Little, yeah, like yeah. a little bit more fruit and a little more like grassy and not necessarily mm-hmm. like really like kind of light dirt, if you will. This like, almost drinks a little more like a wheat beer. Yeah. Or like you know? if you told me this was a lager, I would believe you. But right. It's, but right. it's delicious. Yeah, it really is. You like it? It's Ian? pretty good. I think it's yeah, pretty good. Pretty I can good. see this would be a, a good beer for a summer day. Try it have, out when you go to Louisiana. We have summer days coming up. Yeah, this is a Louisiana exclusive, so grab it when you're there. We'll be right back with more. It's Smoking and Toasting. Nice. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. Our program's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We're on show number 323, which means, by the way, we are 10 weeks and 10 episodes away 
from our Smoking and Toasting Big Anniversary Show, number 333. So we're really excited about that. Looking forward to seeing, hopefully, a lot of our previous guests back with us on the program. Uh, so while we were uh, tasting the boot from Abita Brewing, uh, Chris uh, Morris, our guest, mentioned that he had a number of beers in his cooler that he brought with, and one of them was another Abita beer. So we thought, why not? Let's try it. Um, tell, tell us about what we got here. Well, it's the French Toast Stout. From well, there's nothing wrong with that. No, creamy notes of maple syrup, cinnamon, vanilla, and nutmeg. This stout will have you craving breakfast for dinner. A decadent brew inspired by a morning favorite, a French toast stout has a smooth and subtle sweetness, perfect for any time of day. Mm. Now, the this is completely opposite of the boot that we just tried. <laughs> <It> <laughs> this is, is. all this the is way on the other end of the scale. Also, the boot was coming in at approximately 4.8%. This is coming in at 8 Okay. So... I will say we had another French toast oh. stout recently, and this is different from it. But, the mapley syrup, but is it's so very, nice. very mapley. Yes, it is. It makes me want to go have breakfast. That was when I lived Agreed. in New Orleans. Breakfast out was always one of the big, the big treats. I don't know why. I mean, just <laughs> the way this tastes out. like. Yeah. I, I now want this and the cigar that you just reviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> is, is where I'm at. I'm betting that they would work really, really well together. Uh, I I think you're absolutely right. That's delicious. This is mapley. It's almost you can almost taste the butter in it. Like, like if you have butter all over the French toast, right? You know, when I when I do French toast or um, waffles, I like it to be so like soaked in maple syrup mm-hmm. that it just starts falling apart. And I know a lot of people are turned off by that they don't like that yeah like my wife will take a little slice and she'll dip it in the maple syrup not me i want it to be like part of his dna the one you dip (laughs) in the maple syrup is the one you get at the fast food remember like they had those like dippable waffle sticks (laughs) burger king or something like that a while back (laughs) yeah that's what you dip in the syrup yeah no no you want you want syrup all over it and my my thing is i want to especially if it's a waffle i want to first coat it with um with butter and I want it to be hot enough that the butter melts oh, yeah. before I put the syrup on. Because you don't want the congealed butter still under the right, syrup. Right. So, yeah, that's that's the way you do waffles. My uh, my mom made waffles a lot when I was a kid. So I got <laughs> plenty of waffle experience. Except my mom thought that if she made extra waffles and she put them in like a, an old bread sack and put them in the freezer and froze them and then brought them out and used them in the toaster... She thought that was as good as like an ego, and it just it just wasn't Not quite the no. same. There's some kind of preservative that they put in the egos yeah. that makes it delicious and probably almost poison. But <laughs> but, but it but it, it does it does that thing that uh, mom's frozen waffles didn't just quite didn't do didn't quite add up. Um, Chris Morris, our uh, cocktail expert, is here with us today. In addition to making us an interesting cocktail and bringing us some interesting beers, um, I thought this would be a good time to. Uh, to do something a little more bartender uh, themed um, because Chris has worked, you know, behind the bar for a, a big part of his career and knows the bartender thing inside and out. So I got an, an interesting article recently where bartenders share nine ways you're wasting your money on drinks. All right. And I thought we'd run these past you, Chris, and see, uh, see what you think of these. Okay. Yeah, let's go. The first one is, uh, and this was put out by uh, Paul Kushner, who's a bartender, pub owner, and CEO of My Bartender. He says, you're wasting your money if you ask for premium spirits in sugary cocktails. Uh, is he right? No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, Talk to me about I this. I mean, to a degree, right? Like, if you're going to a place that makes, like, naturally over-the-top, like, crazy sweet cocktails with no sense of balance, sure. Like... Paying for like the old, like the more premium vodka over like 
the drinkable wine. So, so you're saying if your sweetness comes from a bag mixture, maybe? Yeah, like like if a place is pouring <laughs> then, like then you're bottled wasting sweet and sour, but you know, and like it's going to depend on like your your concept of like sweet cocktails as well. Okay. Um, but so there is a place you're saying for more premium liquor in even sweeter cocktails. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like a, a cocktail is only going to be as good as like the worst ingredient that you that you put into it. So. If you're intentionally making it overly sweet to cover up bad alcohol, yeah, you shouldn't put good alcohol in it because you have to readjust it to like pay respect to the fact you're using like a premium ingredient to start. But I, I think like there's definitely room for like premium spirits and like cocktails that lean a little bit sweet. What about something like sangria? I've always heard you're wasting your money to use good wine and sangria. Um, I mean, you're not wasting your money. You're gonna get it, it's like diminishing returns, right? Because you're right. putting so much fruit juice and like brandy and like macerating with fruit overnight if you're doing mm -hmm. like the proper Spanish sangria that you're going to get a better drink out of it, but is the juice worth the squeeze, if right. you will. Right, uh, I hear you. Okay, all right. The next thing they say is we should totally skip out on bottle service. Not all bars and restaurants uh, offer bottle service, but he's saying it's generally a waste of money because you're paying such bloated prices for premium bottles of booze. It's more about the experience of being a VIP and having beautiful women deliver the bottles. Uh, but it seems like a lot of money for a little payoff. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Totally yeah, agree with no, that. Like, yeah. Bottle service is like the, the markups are absurd. Like, yeah, you're, you're actively paying for the entertainment value of it. They're uh, recommending instead to order highballs or tip your bartender well for similar custom drink recommendations and VIP level service. I mean, you're not going to get the the bottle service, like, sparkler, scantily clad women experience out of, like, just tipping your bartender well. So, like, okay. if, if you're out for that, right, like, if you're at a bachelor party mm -hmm. in Vegas, that's the time to, like, you already know you're wasting money. You're just right. literally setting money on fire. So, like, you yeah. might as well get drunk at the same time. Because you're not getting really much of anything for yeah. those dollar bills that go inside the stripper's G-string. Well, yeah. I want to I I clear this up. Are we we're supposed to tip our bartenders? <laughs> And, and yes, and and the dancers, and the dancers, yeah, and and the entertainers, yes, the entertainers. There you go. Um, another tip that they give is that sometimes if you're in a place that specializes in specialty cocktails, that ordering just your standard cocktail there is kind of a waste of time. They're saying you can get those at any old bar. Take advantage of the uh, uh, of the uh, special creations because that's what these. Bartenders have have gone kind of out of their way to make, and if you're just ordering a regular margarita, uh, you might just get a regular margarita, but at a premium price. Thoughts? Um, halfway conflicted on this. Like, mm -hmm. do I think everybody should absolutely come to like our places and like try our drinks? And like, if you don't do it, you're being silly. Like, no. Like, we we offer them as as a service, something that we put creative energy to. But if our cocktails are that good then all of the classics should be just as good as well. So, like, if you're coming into my bar and you ask for a Manhattan, you're going to get a really well-made, really, really well-thought-out Manhattan right. with really so, great ingredients. So maybe you lose some uniqueness, but if what you're looking for is a classic drink, yeah, it's going to be a very yeah. good classic drink. Because well, my wife does that sometimes. We'll go <clears> into <throat> a place, and she'll look at the menu, and they all sound interesting, but none of them sound like what she really wants at Absolutely. the moment. Yeah, and she'll say, you know, I just want a really good margarita. You know, or whatever. And sometimes I just want crispy tacos. I hear you. And yeah, that's like, okay. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. like I, I think it comes down to right. Like if the bartender is only good at making their specialty mm -hmm. drinks, it's not a very good bartender. You should be able to make any classic as well or better than than most people. Makes sense. Glasses of wine. I think we all know this. Glasses of wine can be more costly in the long run. Obviously, getting the bottle is 
less expensive if you're going to drink enough glasses to equal yeah, the bottle, right? Yeah, like we, that. That's that's pretty commonplace. Um, the the more singular the unit, the higher the markup there's going to be. So very rarely is that four glasses of wine. It's usually, yeah, it's usually like, about four glasses per bottle, yeah. right? Yeah. So like if you're going to drink those four, you're going to get a, a, a variable discount just ordering the bottle in most places. Next one says, don't order premium tequila or mezcal as a shot. First of all, don't do shots. Sucks. Just you're just you're just wasting your time. Yeah, everything sucks as a shot. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I would agree with that. If you're ordering if you're ordering premium tequila and you're just going to throw it back, you are kind of wasting your money. Yeah, you agree? I mean to to a degree, but like I also <laughs> like to drink things that taste good. So right, but, like, but don't you want to drink it, it a little slower and enjoy it though? Depends on the time. Okay, I mean, well, I, I gotcha. and it also depends on what are we talking about in in premium, right? Are you talking about like we should be drinking like a Siete Leguas or a, a Chinaco, like a really good mid shelf tequila, or like are we talking Clase Azul and like single origin Tobala mezcals? Like, <laughs> right, yeah, right. shooting those probably a waste, but like doing a shot of like a good mid shelf tequila, I don't find that offensive at all. There's, yeah, they're saying if you're going to take shots, go for spirits or brands like Patron or Don Julio. And then premium tequilas and mezcals are meant to be sipped. A lot of effort goes into making those spirits, and uh, it's so you can savor the subtle that's a, nuances. That's a tough one. I First off, drink how you want. But at the same time, I just don't do shots. Like, yeah, because I don't I'd rather taste what I'm drinking. And, and if you're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to give you a shot of this kind of crappy zone, I'm, I mean, that's I, okay. I, I, I'm also not going to trust Paul from Colorado on how you're supposed to drink a Mexican spirit. <laughs> that's um, a good point. That's a very, very good point. Uh, next one says... Ask, was wrong, Paul from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Paul from Colorado, you're on. Um, asking for premium vodka in a Bloody Mary is a waste of money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there, there, there's, so, there's so much going there's on. There's so much spice and, and uh, yeah. Uh, double shots aren't always a good deal. Uh, it, is he suggesting that you? Uh, I mean, yeah, there are some places they're saying you where, don't always get double the amount of alcohol. Is what they're saying. Oh, um, depends on the place and what their like standard for is. Mm -hmm. um, like a, a very famous example is uh, like Warren's downtown here in mm -hmm. Houston. Their default pour is about three ounces, so <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty brutal. Uh, if yeah. you if you ask for a double, they literally laugh in your face because yeah. like you're going to get destroyed off just of like singles. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there are some places where. Their double goes from like an ounce, you know, an ounce and a half to two and a half, but they're also generally not charging like true double prices. So, right, eh. right. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of up in flux. Uh, and finally, ordering a cocktail at the top of the menu might not give you the best value for your money. Uh, ooh, that's a really interesting one because you get into like menu design and there's right. definitely um, concepts about putting like the most cost effective, the highest margin stuff higher up and like highlighting it. And because with like, people might be more. Yeah. Like generally or, to, to or order like if, it before that. Yeah. Or if you're at like a, a restaurant and there's like boxes around things, they're generally like big profit drivers. Yeah. Uh, so that can absolutely um, be the case. That's interesting. I mean, I, I tend to design mine a little more around like the flow of the menu and like how we think people should be drinking them and making sure there's not too many gin cocktails together. So that right. doesn't really apply to me, but I definitely know the theory that he's talking about. And it's mm -hmm. it's pretty good advice, actually. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because I would say sometimes they may be hoping that, you know, you start at the top and one of those first few cocktails sounds good to you and that's as far as you go. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'll have that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's not like immediately, like immediate gratification bias. And like, 
yes, it's not going to be the best deal, but if a place makes really good cocktails, they're not going to put like a terrible one to try and trick you first. It's just going to be right because that, that would be counterproductive. It's going to be the one that happens to make them the most money so that they can like pay their rent. I got so it. I got it. All right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting stuff. Thanks for uh, weighing in on that because we don't always have a, a, a you know a, a bartending and and spirit expert here. So. We appreciate uh, we appreciate when you do. Uh, this French toast, uh, what is it called again? Stout French, French toast, toast stout. stout from Abita. It's absolutely fantastic. I realized I was supposed to open this other beer, at but some we point do have time. another I beer. Totally here. Yes, we absolutely it. do. So, uh, so it, the now, last this is, minute here. This is going to be a very different from the French toast stout. So I don't know if we should have gone in this order or not, but we will try it. This is. An island. Well, maybe you should ask Paul IPA. from Colorado. Uh, Paul, uh, is he still on line three? No, no, he's better, gone. Better I think, call Paul. I think we have. <laughs> I think we offended him. <laughs> All right, Paul from Colorado, uh, calls back. Um, there is no Paul from Colorado, by the way. Just in case you were wondering. And by the way, while we don't have a, a phone line for you guys to phone into, because we do record the show earlier in the week, we do have an email, and we would love to hear from you on it. If you want to uh, talk back, rebut anything that we've said, give us new ideas, ask for relationship advice, we'll help with anything that we can. The email is st at rfcmedia.com. That's st at rfcmedia.com. We did some emails last week. I'm sure we'll do some again uh, next week. Uh, but, Ian, I see you looking with uh, this, an interesting uh, 12 expression ounce, this 12 at the Lagunitas. This uh, 12-ounce round-trip ticket to the tropics includes a tasty soundtrack and 360-degree views. Of course, there's really one spot to take it all in. See above. Oh, the top of the can. Now I enjoy. <laughs> gotcha. I enjoy uh, Lagunitas just their regular IPA quite a bit. I think it's Lagunitas is great. Very solid IPA, but this I I think I'm in love. Didn't Lagunitas? This is pretty darn good. Weren't they the yeah. ones that did a beer called Oklahoma Sucks? Was that no, Lagunitas? That was, no, that was uh, Martin House. That was oh, Martin yeah. House. Yes. Oh yeah, I love them too. <laughs> they, <laughs> Martin they House. are a great. Uh, they are a great brewery. In fact, I almost uh, brought a Martin House. You know, when the breeze week. is just right, that band playing way across the uh, cove sounds like they're right next door. Same goes for these citrus flavors, tasting like freshly squeezed pineapples, mango, and passion fruit. Only there's all notes. Uh, <clears throat> only there are all notes carried just by hops, juicy and light, not bitter. These beats are uh, just hit different. Guys, this is a fantastic idea. This is really, really it's good. Really, idea. Super it's not good. as it's not as big and bitter too. It's got a sweetness right. to the finish. That's it's really, really very nice. tropical. I can uh, you can pick mm. out, of course, all the citrus, but there's also a little bit of like mango in there, and uh, oh, mm, that I, is just. I, I delicious. think they, they they describe it really well that like the tropical notes are being carried by like the hops and not like big in your face like right we've had some tropical ipas that are just like sure they're huge over yes. the top like mm-hmm. juicy this pineapple. is not that way this is very drinkable yeah very yeah, very, very much coming in at five percent too so mm-hmm. reasonably sessionable this would be something i could i could crush back a, a quite a few I, I will just mention as we've often said on this program before smoking and toasting directly influencing sales because i will be buying some of this on the way home. i will as well <laughs> so there you go uh we we really do truly influence sales it happens um um, yeah, this is my first time to try that, and I, I but not my first time with a Lagunitas. So Lagunitas has beer, so many but, good beers. They yeah. have a little something, something. They yeah. have brown sugar. Remember that one? Yes, um, yes. A, oh yeah, and the little something, something is great too. Yeah, they have uh, they have quite a few beers that are so outstanding. They are from Petaluma, California, and they are absolutely wonderful. Okay, still to come on the program, we have more beers to taste. Chris Morris is going to make a. Uh, a cocktail for us here in just a little bit and we have uh, more to tell you about cigars to be on the lookout for we're smoking and toasting 
Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. Our program is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Uh, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about cocktails. And Chris has brought, this looks so cool. Um, this is this is just a collection of different uh, things that you serve cocktails and, and spirits in, correct? Uh, that's actually what we serve sake in. Oh, uh, serve sake in. Okay, that makes sense for sake. Tell me, uh, uh, Chris, uh, please take this in the spirit in which is intended, which is <laughs> To make fun of you, uh, but uh, but you you change jobs every once in a while. Uh, it's I, been said of you that that is the case. Uh, I have had a history of being quite a uh, capitalistic nomad. Okay, that's that's a great way to <laughs> say it. Capitalistic so nomad. I us, love it. Bring us up to speed. Didn't it sound well like done. it sounds like the Hobbit combined with like Wall Street? You know, going <laughs> <laughs> on an adventure. Yeah, uh, bring us up to speed on where you are now. Uh, I'm the beverage director at Aya Sushi in so just is, out, just outside 610 over in Bel Air. Okay, so this is a uh, this is pretty a pretty interesting place to be because are are the spirits consumed at a more Japanese or sushi oriented restaurant different in any significant way from what you might have in you know in a, in a steakhouse or uh, just a seafood restaurant or something like that? Um, we tend to obviously serve a lot more. Japanese spirits. We have about 110 Japanese whiskeys on our list. Um, but like even the overall philosophy and like way that we craft our cocktails tends to be a lot more subtle because we're dealing with a lot lighter flavors when we're talking like sashimi and nigiri. Right, right. So so things are a little more on the yeah, the so less right in the face sort of. A, a, exactly. There's a lot more nuance to it. Like if we're if we're making just a, an example, if we were making like a Manhattan, we're rarely going to be pulling out like the big overproof whiskeys and like the big, like, bold vermouth. We want a little bit more subtlety. Because something's ha people are going to have these with uh, with more light type of dishes. Yeah, with, it, yeah, ex with ex fish, exactly. So. And that's how I like talk about Japanese whiskey with people because they always ask like, how does it compare to Scotch? I'm like, well, it tends to be a lot more nuanced because they're drinking it a lot more with water and with soda, right? Because that's the way it's meant to be consumed, like with their like local cuisine. So we tend to design things not more in like a vacuum of just making the absolute best cocktails we can. Um, but more of like designing them around the overall experience is what we're going now, for. Now, I would almost never go to the store and buy a six pack of like Kirin or Sapporo. But I will say that when I'm in a restaurant eating sushi, there's something about those beers that just it's, seems it's the right, right profile. Right. It's right. And, yeah. and I enjoy ordering, you know, all of those um, uh, Asahi and uh, I may not be pronouncing that right. But uh, but those beers, man, when I'm having uh, sushi or sashimi, those just seem perfect. What 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 is that about? I mean, that just goes back like we, we talk about it in wine all the time, not to like jump all the way around the spirits world. But there's a concept we talk about in wine, which is what grows together goes together. So generally, like uh -huh. the things that are locally made by local people tend to be more influenced by what they're having which is why a lot of these farm to table type restaurants are so good because they are really sourcing local with not only the food but with the uh mm. the drinks yeah, and, exactly and, 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 and if you well. think about like if you're in like appalachia and doing more like smoked meats and big red meats you're gonna want bourbon right you know if you're in you know scotland it's a little bit lighter and like a little bit more earthy kind of stuff like steak and kidney pie and fish and chips and things like that you're going to want a little bit more of that lighter more barley driven style so and if it, you're in if you're in mexico with the spicy mexican food you're oh, going to want 100%. some of those Mexican lagers that are uh, that you can wash it down with. I'm going to want a terminally ill amount of Mexican <laughs> lagers. <laughs> I, I love it. So, uh, so in your 
experience at your place, what kind of cocktails are the most popular where you are? Um, so kind of the most popular that we, we do, we do have a, our version of a lychee martini that has a lot more nuance to it. We use like a rosé sake in it, and it's just meant to be like the grand version of it. Um, we have an old-fashioned variation, which is near the top of like any restaurant's cellar because people just love old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an old-fashioned meets a godfather, actually. Nice. Um, because we take and we actually infuse a Japanese rice whiskey with some like fire-roasted green tea just to give it like a little bit of like extra oomph. But... Also, like very subtle. We do it with this like. This all a, sounds so good to me right yeah, now. <laughs> and that one has like amaretto and pandan syrup and uh, cocoa nib and black truffle bitter. Like it, it gets a little more, a little more up there. But like that's two. That's probably our two most popular. That's so cool. I've got to come try those. You've been to the restaurant. I have, uh, and I between me and my wife, we tried probably five different cocktails. <laughs> I love outstanding. It. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll. Uh, uh, my wife and I will be there soon. I promise Excellent. you. We'll be. We'll be uh, making a reservation. Um, when we come back, I want you to talk to us a little bit about um, this particular cocktail that you're going to make us. And I understand. Uh, is this is a variation on a martini? Is, is that what it is? So is this something that you kind of developed for the particular place where you are now? Yes, it, it, it is on the menu. You can come enjoy it, okay. even Paul from Colorado. All right, I'm really super excited about this. Actually, I see a reservation here for a Paul from Colorado. <laughs> hey. Uh, so uh, I, guess, I, guess we've, uh, I guess we've made it. We've broken through. We did it. All right, we will be right back. <laughs> you are listening to Smoking and Toasting, all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. We shall return. Welcome back to our second hour of Smoking and Toasting. Our program is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. Uh, it's show number 323, and our special guest is uh, uh, cocktail master extraordinaire and our cocktail expert for Smoking and Toasting, Mr. Chris Morris, who is uh, uh, preparing us a cocktail as we speak. So while he does that, let me tell you a little bit about some cigars you may want to watch for at your local cigar store. One of my favorite cigar makers is forging ahead with his new company, Tim Osgener, who is the son of Kano Osgener, who was the driving force behind CAO Cigars before they sold the company. Uh, well, Tim's releasing another offering from his very new company called Osgener Family Cigars. So you mm -hmm. couldn't keep Tim out of the business for too long. He jumped back in with a new company. And his new release is called Osgener Family Cigars Aramas. The name combines the Turkish and Armenian names for a mountain that's important to both cultures, which reflects uh, Osgener's Armenian and Turkish heritage. Tim had originally planned uh, uh, to name the cigar for Mount Ararat, which I never pronounce right. Uh, but that's the mountain in Turkey that's meaningful to Turks and to Armenians alike and is said to be the final resting place of Noah's legendary ark. Osner's father was Armenian, his mother is Turkish, and the mountain is pictured on the artwork for the cigar. In Armenian, the mountain is called Masis or Masis. He was unable to use either of those names due to trademark issues, so he combined the two into the one word, Aramas. Uh, the cigars are rolled in the Dominican Republic by some guy you may have heard of called Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Mm, uh, and the cigars filler too. blend contains some Connecticut broadleaf, which is kind of unusual touch. The rest of the filler is Dominican and Nicaraguan. The binder is Ecuadorian Sumatra, and the wrapper is dark Mexican San Andres. Expected to be medium to full-bodied with four sizes, ranging in price from about twelve seventy-five to fifteen. dollars 
75 and available by late April in the uh, cigar shop near you. And the newest punch cigar from General Cigar Company is going to be made by Julio and Justo Eroya, best known as the father and uh, uh, son duo behind the JRE Tobacco Company, who uh, Ian mm-hmm. and I both got a chance to meet and sit with and smoke with. And they're so both awesome. just amazing individuals yeah. who just love the tobacco business. Uh, not only is the new punch golden era made with uh, the Honduran Corojo tobacco that the family grows on its farm nice. that Ian and I both yeah. been to, uh, but it's being made at Fabrica de Puros Aladino in Las Lomas, Yamastrain, the factory that makes the JRE tobacco mm-hmm. cigars. Uh, and while the Arroyo family is best known for the Corojo tobacco, uh, the Golden Era uses some Honduran Habano in the filler, and the wrapper and binder are both Honduran Corojo. It'll be available in three sizes. And uh, General Cigar Company, which uses the uh, they sell the non-Cuban punch brand in the U.S., uh, say this begins shipping on May 1. And this is unusual for them because punch has not done um, cigars made by uh, a lot of people outside right, right. the general cigar family. So I'm really excited about this because those guys, not only were they some of the nicest people I've ever met, but they really know their tobacco. They and they're, they're, those Aladino cigars are fantastic. So I encourage you to check them out. And uh, we'll try to keep you up to speed with other cigars that are coming soon to a uh, tobacco store near you. All right. Chris Morris, our cocktail expert, has poured for us something that looks interesting. Now, you said this was a a type of martini, but this looks much more golden or straw-colored than I'm used to martinis looking. Oh, it does. Um, It It smells like like a savory soup almost. Yeah, so so this is... A variation on like the dirty martini, trying to get you that mm-hmm. that saltiness, that right. big umami kick. And I do love the dirty martini. I oh, like yeah. mine extremely dirty. I can see though you've got some um, some dots here or some bubbles floating in there that clearly are different from the primary liquid. What are those? Uh, those are wasabi oil and black sesame oil. Interesting. So the idea being that you can get these like really great aromatics, but then also depending on which um, little piece of oil you might get in your sip or if you get them at all, the yeah. cocktail could actually take different sip to sip. Interesting. Which is always like a kind of fun concept that I like to play with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially in a cocktail Glass that's this small, the fact that different sips could taste different is really kind of an interesting concept. Ian, I'm it's, not sure what to <laughs> think about the look on your face. It's pretty fun. Like, this, it's so different from what you expect. You know, um, uh, it's it's savory and interesting. There's a little sweetness it to it. There's a, almost a graham crackery kind of sweetness going on in the background on this. And what um, are we? <laughs> I said that's the look on his that's face. That's the mad perfect. scientist look. By the yeah. way, just in case you didn't know. Uh, but but yeah. it goes well with the saltiness that you talk about. That that super savory thing. The nose is so okay. interesting on this as well. So I just did exactly what you're talking about. I just took my second sip, and the flavors were different from the first sip. Yeah. And so that has to do, I think, with which one of these uh, little drops I got the exactly. closest to. Correct. Yeah, so the underlying cocktail is the same, but you get a little bit of a different accent, just depending on how the cocktail happens to hit. All right, so what's what's in this now? This Is is this gin? Uh, this is gin. So this is a cocktail that we have on our menu. It's called the PVF Martini, mm-hmm. um, standing for Plum, Vanilla, and Foie Gras. <laughs> I did not see the Foie Gras coming, I have to say. Yeah. So this is what I, I want to say, because I, I have a lot of friends who are, who are not – big fans of gin because they don't like the very floral sort of junipery vibe. Do not be scared of this because there's really no juniper here that I can detect to speak of. Do you get any? 
I get a um a loosely floral on the aftertaste, but a little not, bit, but not not a uh, not a big floral flavor up front. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm, so so the gin that we use here is the botanist, um, okay. which is distilled at Brooklady in Scotland. It's actually on an old um a particular type of skill um, still. I believe it's the one that was at Invergordon. Mm. Um, so if you're ever on Jeopardy, maybe that comes up. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but Botan is very, very famous for they use like 11 classic kind of botanicals, your citrus peels and like your junipers, right. things you expect everywhere else. Um, but the reason they call it the botanist is they literally work with a botanist who goes out and hand harvests um, 22 island-specific botanicals from the Isle of Isla. So very, very wow. like locally produced style. Wanna, of yeah, gin. you want to talk about local honey, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and so then what we do, um, we're, we're very lucky um, being in like the higher end sushi space to get to play with some really great ingredients, and one of them being foie gras. Um, we do do that as a nigiri at the restaurant, um, which has to be trimmed down from an entire lobe. So we actually take all the trimmings off of the full lobe of foie gras, um, render those down, pour them or pour the gin into that. Um, and Was then, this your idea? Uh, yes. So I mean, what, what could possibly have made you think, <laughs> let's let's try some foie gras in the mix? Um, so, like, there there is a concept of fat washing that has existed for quite some time. Um, PDT in New York made it very very famous with um, the Benton's old fashioned, mm -hmm. um, where they infuse the bourbon with bacon fat, mm -hmm. um, and then you see like coconut oil. Um, anything with a fat, you can generally like wash is what we call the the technique and the spirit of what we sure, do. Yeah, here. Yeah. So we literally take this like <clears throat> rendered foie gras fat, pour it into the gin, shake that up, and we'll leave it in a freezer overnight. So what will happen is everything that's actually soluble, all the soluble compounds will get extracted into the gin. And then all of like the fatty compounds will actually freeze into a solid disc overnight. Mm. And then we just strain it off of that. And so you're left, you're left with the feeling of that unctuousness, that fattiness, that big umami kick that we're we're chasing, um, but without like being a meaty kind of uh, cocktail. I love um, it. Yeah, so we take that. There's some um, really great umeshu from Matsui. Mm -hmm. um, so a Japanese plum wine that's been aged in Japanese whiskey barrels. Mm. Um, this kind of plays off the very, very classic pairing of foie gras with sauterne, the very famous French right. dessert wine. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third component is liqueur uh, 43 from Spain. Give us some, some citrus, big vanilla kick. Um, I always love the mouthfeel that it adds to cocktails. And just a little dash of bitters. Um, we add some water to it. And then at the restaurant, we literally take that. We put it in a freezer. And so in a we, freezer? Yeah. So that way it's got this, this huge silky texture to it. Um, and it's already pre-diluted, very easy to to serve. Um, but that that's the way that like we found is is very, very best. And that's something you see a lot is like the concept of the freezer martini. The most extreme sure. of them being at the Duke's Hotel in um, London. They're very famous for their martini being an extraordinarily cold martini glass. Um, like as little of their own custom blended vermouth as they can possibly pour into the glass. And then six ounces of gin from the freezer. <laughs> now, when I make mm. vodka martinis at home, um, I always have the vodka in the freezer. Yeah. So I have the vodka in the freezer. I then fill the shaker. I pour the vodka in and then put just, you know, the olive juice, whatever else uh, I'm putting in. Little, I use a little tiny bit of, um, uh, well, I have these olives that are soaked in um, uh, uh, 
Sorry, I'm blanking on what was vermouth. This? Vermouth, thank you. Uh, olives that are soaked in vermouth, sure. so you get this a little bit of vermouth from that in the in the uh, glass. And I use a frozen martini glass. Try to do it as cold as I possibly can, but you do get a more velvety mouthfeel when that um, when the vodka, and I'm sure the same would be true with gin, is out of the freezer, right? Yeah. It's so just, so it's if just you want to take that to, to the next extreme, like just take your vodka pre-dilute it to whatever your ratio is. Just yeah. add the water straight to it and then put that entire mixture into the freezer. Now, what is this dilute you speak of? Well, that's what happens when you shake it. <laughs> oh. it is like the ice is melting into the I, vodka I, and bringing I, it down to... You shake them? He shakes it. He's, that's his words, not mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's his show. So well, I'm just no, going no, with no, it. But, but now, based on... It was actually based on advice from you. Based on advice from you, I stopped shaking my martinis for a while and started stirring them. Because you were talking about how that is actually better for the the flavor flavor. substantially, actually. However, then I heard you say, also on this show, that if you're doing dirty martinis, you might as well shake them. No, a dirty martini you should absolutely shake. So yeah, and and that's generally what I'm making. But yeah, but you're saying if you're making a a, a different martini, if you're making a very 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 classic one, it's traditionally better to the rule of thumb being if you put anything cloudy in it, then you should probably be shaking the cocktail. because all your vermouths, all your spirits, all your fortified wines, things like that, anything that's going to give you a transparent cocktail, if you shake it, you're going to, like, very drastically affect the way that, like, the cocktail feels, the way the cocktail tastes. So what's the name of this martini again? Called PVF Martini. It's delicious. I mean, this is just absolutely. (laughs) And I just had my final sip of this glass. And so it still had several of the drops Although they were smaller than when they right. started out, but it had several little drops, in my, and man, that was just—it was so savory. That last, yeah, uh, it almost—it was an instant Doritos effect. Like there's a little spiciness to it. That's yeah. really fun. Too. Yeah, it really is, and I just absolutely love it. And this is a, uh, this is a unique creation. We can't get this anywhere else. Yeah, right? and, and no, um, but that's got to be one of the interesting things. Like when you're when you're working at a restaurant, like you come up with all kinds of crazy outrageous creations but then you have to be able to do it on a regular basis and right. make it something that you can recreate consistently every right. time that's that its own challenge that, that's right. that's arguably the harder part of the entire right thing. right so when you make something like this you put it on the menu mm-hmm. you're feeling great about it you know it tastes great people are going to order it and try it how do you measure success in other words how do you go, how do you know that's good enough i'm going to leave it on the menu as opposed to maybe take it off and try something else um so that's just through like interacting with the guests and yeah. seeing how they're enjoying their drinks. Um, I can also look at how many of them we're selling because um, if it doesn't sell, it's not but really. Is doing there a, a whole th- lot is there food. a threshold for that? Though? Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I've had plenty of really amazing cocktails that just didn't sell over the years. And whatever, was, whatever it, reason, right? And it was fine. And then yeah. we can also look at the rate of like if something goes out but it gets returned. Either oh, like, if they send it back and go, yeah, this it, wasn't quite what I was hoping. Yeah, because for, yeah. Like, we still are in a restaurant. People aren't necessarily coming there like strictly for the cocktails and to have like this big crazy like experience so like we had an earlier version of this that was all about mushrooms um that had no dilution at all and it was like buckwheat shochu very earthy Uh, it was incredibly it was i called it an umami and gin sledgehammer (laughs) and that got sent back all the time um just because people weren't used to drinking that style and that's why we came up with this one it's a little bit more approachable well this is absolutely wonderful and this is on the menu now it is all right very good. I'm going to be remembering that for uh, the upcoming dinner. I'm going to be booking Paul from Colorado. If you're listening, mm-hmm. you might as well pre-order because this is uh, 
This is absolutely worth it. We are smoking and toasted. We got drinking news still on the way, and we have more beer to sample, most of which we will do coming up next. It's smoking and toasted. Welcome back to Smoking and Toasting, show number 323, all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. It's cocktail time with Chris Morris, but because he's uh, such an interesting uh, spirits guy and, uh, you know, is doing this whole thing now at this sushi restaurant, he also brought along today some sake, and I thought, let's let's try this. We did sake for the first time on the show. It wasn't the first time we had it, but the first time on the show, actually just a couple of shows ago. And when you showed up with some today, I thought we might as well. So this is pretty special sake, though, right? Uh, this is. So this is from Shiokawa Shuzo in uh, Niigata, which is the region has the highest premium uh, concentration of premium breweries in all of Japan. It has to do mostly with the water source. Tends to be almost entirely melted snow that comes down from the mountains, which sounds like a whole uh, bit of malarkey, but it's true. So, just just basics. What is sake? Uh, so, ooh, the basic version. That's really hard. So, sake you can mostly think of kind of like a rice style of uh, wine. A wine, yeah. But it does undergo a very distinct process. So, um, Ian can attest to this. When you make beer, you have to take barley. You have to convert the starches into sugars. Mm-hmm. Then you have sugars for fermentation. Um, how this is done in sake is with a particular kind of mold that is called koji, and there are different types of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all happening all at once inside um, the tank. So the starch inside the sake is being converted into sugar by the koji, while at the exact same time the yeast is then converting that sugar into alcohol. Um, it's called multiple parallel fermentation, and sake is the only beverage in the world that undergoes this particular process. And is this something that was a happy accident when it was discovered, or did they did they plan it this way? No, uh, there's been a lot of fires, so no one really knows. Um, <laughs> we, we we can only really trace like the the history of of we know that it's been going on for a very long time. But something like the Kimoto method, and like um, this guy over here, we know goes back into like the early 1600s. Um, and then we didn't stop using that method until 1908 when we started using the Yamahai, which is what we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this one. It's called Cowboy. It's got a cow on it. Yep. Um, but I like this because it sort of challenges the expectation of um, sake because most people know that sake tastes hot or cold. And that's really about it. Um, but there are some very beautiful fruity styles. There are some very amazing savory styles. Um, this one, I told you earlier, this would probably not be the first time that we said meat broth for the day. Yeah, this is savory. For this sure. one is incredibly savory. That's to do with the Yamaha method. That's one of the the most labor intensive uh, ways of it's making like, sake, but they make very gamey, incredibly it's yeah, like a smoked meat kind of thing. Oh going yeah, on. yeah. No, I, I tell people like this tastes like bacon fat, yeah. and like in the best way possible. Generally speaking, when somebody says tastes like bacon fat, I'm so in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm pretty this, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm right, right there along with you. Did you know that they sell rendered bacon fat mm. at the grocery store when you could just make it yourself? I was going to say, I don't know why you would because I got a whole <laughs> container inside my refrigerator. This is, that's no, this rendered is delightful. Bacon fat. This is very different. And it is slightly chilled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the way you would normally have it. It's got a very rice kind of mouth, or not rice, uh, wine kind of mouth feel to right. it. Um, like like a like a very crisp kind of so Chris, when you're drinking sake, what are some of the characteristics to be looking for if it's a really good sake? How can you tell? Um, it won't. Ha- it generally doesn't have like <laughs> you a know sharp- go blind. What's that? <laughs> I said you know yeah, go blind. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't go blind. Um, <laughs> it tends not to have a, a sharpness to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people more rounded flavors and and yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like the so most of what people are going to know from from sake and like the, those fifty dollar date nights <coughs> that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. I say we like I was here. Um, <laughs> um, like when you're just ordering like carafts of sake, that's a category that's called futsushu, which means ordinary sake, um, which is essentially like the box wine of it. Um, so uh, think about the difference between. Right. Box, box wine, wine and, yeah. and a nice bottle of wine. Right. Same thing in, in sake. It's right. either like really terrible, like bulk sake or a nice premium. And the whole thing is more rounded and more put together. Well, even though this reminds me of a pork chop, I got to say it's pretty darn good. Absolutely. And we'll take a break with that. Drinking News is coming up next. You are listening to Smoking and Toasting, uh, Craft Beer, Fine Spirits, and Hand Rolled Cigars. Welcome back at Smoking and Toastin, our program all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars, all things that we particularly enjoy. Our guest on this week's show is Chris Morris. He is our cocktail expert here at the Smoking and Toastin HQ. And in addition to that, he's also a well-known uh, mixologist and apparently enough of a fan of the show that he actually wrote the alternate version of our Drinking News theme song. Now, I should explain Ian himself wrote and genu- gen- you know, genuinely or generally <laughs> performs live on the show the uh, original Drinking News theme song. But one day he arrived at the show with a recording that Chris Morris had made of himself doing the Drinking News, uh, the, the second Drinking News theme song. It is and, something to behold. And so we play it from time to time, but he's here now with, of all things, a banjo to do the Drinking News alternate theme song Live, so ladies and gentlemen, as we get into drinking news, I give you on banjo, Chris Morris, and on ukulele, our one and only Ian Barry. Gentlemen, it's time for drinking news. All right. There's a podcast all about cigars and brews. Hanging out every week with Ian and Cruz. For spirited discussion and cigar reviews. In a segment all around the world is drinking news. It's drinking news. Is what I love. Just me and a Florida man and a bottle of rum. Pour another round. What do we gotta lose? Oh, let me tell you a story. Swear to God, it's true. Well, not on the town. Took a turn to the south. And when I started drinking that whiskey and running my mouth, we were up to the bar. Another round or two. And that's when the gambler said, I got a bed for you. We went a couple of rounds. And then a two. And me and that Florida man fought a kangaroo. <laughs> we went a couple of rounds. It beat us black and blue. And Lord, I hope I don't wind up on drinking news. On drinking news. On drinking news. Mama, I hope I don't wind up. On the now nationally syndicated podcast known all around the world as Drinking News. <laughs> Cheers, y'all. All right. Uh, that was great. That was great. Thank you. Now, you, you know, may not be able to tell this. We've never practiced that before. <laughs> no, I couldn't tell at all. And I will, just, I will just mention, by the way, I don't know of any other programs on this radio network that feature live segment music. So this is, this is a treat. 
I just opened the wrong beer. I love live music. <laughs> That's okay. We'll get to that. We'll in a get to that. Drinking news. Is there such thing as a wrong beer? <laughs> Drinking news is our segment on the program where we bring you stories that uh, we do believe are true. They're from uh, at least somewhat legitimate news sources. They're not from the Onion. They're not from parody sites. Uh, they're stories that sometimes, uh, but not always, are about drinking, but are always best enjoyed if you've been drinking. And over the last decade or so, the problem of identity theft has become more and more serious in the United States. From credit card theft to phishing emails and texts, it's become a legitimate problem. I literally had to talk my Aunt Gertie out of sending cash to a Nigerian prince who just wanted to share his billion-dollar fortune with her if she'd only wire him enough money so he could get out of the country. You know the drill. I actually feel sorry for the identity thief who tries to steal mine. I mean, I can see him now all proud of himself, you know, <laughs> because he got into the info to access my bank account and he hacks his way in only to be like, $17? Look at this account. From these entries, this cruise dude looks like he spent his entire salary buying cigars and tequila. Yet here at Drinking News, we're thinking that if you want to steal somebody's identity, you really should... Think about setting your sights on someone a little higher than me. I mean, <laughs> get to know them first is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, pretend to be somebody famous, you know, like <laughs> like Meatloaf or the Duck Dynasty guy or Pee Wee Herman, you know? <laughs> At least have some fun with it because most likely you're going to wind up going to jail, which is exactly what happened to a Florida man who was arrested recently for drunkenly picking fights at Ocean Prime on Fifth Avenue South in Naples, Florida. 59-year-old Eugene Bingham, or at least that was the name on his driver's license when cops booked him, was described by diners at the restaurant as drunk, disruptive, and aggressive. But it wasn't a guy that was named Eugene Bingham that was behind all the drunkenness and disorderliness. Oh, no. Where's the fun in that? This Florida man reportedly caused a commotion from one side of the restaurant to the other, but it's okay. You'd expect him to do that, right? After all, he's something of a celebrity. At least that's what he told people. <laughs> I'm a big deal. Now, I know your first thought is you're thinking, holy crap, Nicolas Cage is at it again. Uh, and I can't blame you for thinking that, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. It wasn't the big Nick. Instead, one woman flagged down a Naples police officer and gave him the story. She said... Sir, you've got to help us. A drunk man in a red shirt is yelling at people, and he claims he's Mick Jagger. <laughs> and that's when the Rolling Stones front man, hey, maybe it really was him. Uh, he left the Ocean Prime restaurant and headed out on the town. Police caught up with him near Cambia Park, where he charged at an officer and shouted, Don't F with me. Leave me the F alone. Except he didn't abbreviate to F. <laughs> Not the Fs. Yep. The arrest report doesn't go into great detail, so we can't know for sure if Eugene Bingham slash Mick Jagger used any smooth lines on the cops. Like, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. Or, leave me the F alone. I'll never be your beast of burden. Or even, wild horses couldn't drag me to jail. Police did, of course, drag him to jail. No wild or domesticated horses were involved. On his way downtown, the man kept up his Mick Jagger claims right up until he leaned over 
and vomited in the back of the police car. <laughs> the cops were also contacted by the manager of another nearby bar and restaurant who told him the man had been to his place as well at a club called Yaba. The manager said he tolerated the guy for a little while before kicking him out three separate times. The final straw, according to the manager, was when Bingham got up on stage shoved the singer of the band that was serving as the evening's entertainment Perfect. aside and then started to perform as the front man for the group. Details were a little sketchy at this point. Wait, wait, wait. That, that sounds totally like something Mick Jagger would do. <laughs> well, details are a little sketchy at this point, but wouldn't it be awesome if the group was a Rolling Stones cover band? <laughs> right? I mean, can't you see him walking up there totally faced, doing that chicken walk strut that Jagger does, singing You Can't Always Get What You Want? It'd be awesome. I'm sure a quick survey of the customers at Yabba's, however, would reveal that, as far as they were concerned, at least, that Bingham definitely did not have, and I'm quoting Adam Levine here, the moves like Jagger. If you're going to steal someone's identity and cause a scene, here's a tip for you. Don't tell everybody you're Mick Jagger, for God's sake. Say you're Keith Richards. If you're saying you're Jagger and you can't sing or do the chicken walk, you're going to know you're not him. If you tell them you're Keith Richards and they ask you to prove it, you can just say, I left my guitar at home. Uh, am I right? Uh, who wants to say they, they're Keith? Well, I mean, you have to have a particular look to look <laughs> yeah. like Keith Richards. <laughs> Maybe say you're Ron Wood. I but then everyone's up. like, who's that? Right. But at least they wouldn't and he's know he's amazing. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Reporting live from the holding cell at Collier County Jail, where some drunk dude keeps telling me that if I start him up, he'll never stop. Never stop. Never stop. My name is Cruz, and but that if you try is yours. <laughs> you just might get your drinking news. Drinking news, drinking news. That's our time for drinking news. Cheers, y'all. <laughs> so when we were setting up drinking news there, Ian poured, uh, did you pour the right beer or the wrong beer? No, I poured the right beer all over the table over here, actually. Okay, I, I, I did a pretty that. good job I can that. see that. Uh, so <laughs> listen, you don't always get what you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you try, sometimes. You got beer in your hand, right? Yes. Okay, you got what I'm you need. Complaining. I'm not complaining. <laughs> the story just reminds me of the time Bob Dylan got arrested in New Jersey. Did you hear about that? No, I don't think I did. Oh, uh, yeah. The, and, and like actual, the real Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because um, he was in a neighborhood creeping around because he was trying to find the house where Br uh, Bruce Springsteen had written uh, Thunder Road. Right. And so they just called about like this creepy old man in the neighborhood. So they scooped <laughs> him up and he's like, I'm Bob Dylan. And the cop was like, I don't know what that means. Uh, so they literally, <laughs> they literally had to take him uh, to, like, I think he was playing at the Meadowlands. They had to take him to the Meadowlands, get the tour manager, be like, yes, that's Bob Dylan, and he belongs to us. <laughs> it's a great story. I love it. I love it. Bob's got his own things to do. Yeah. And he's got his own whiskey, too, which is actually quite good. It's really good whiskey. Yeah, it really is. And speaking of good, yeah, have All you right. tried this beer yet? I have not. So we're trying the Prairie Artists and Ales. Is that right? Yes, this is the uh, this is the way. Yeah, so this is the way, obviously, is the... That's the thing that the Mandalorians say. Is it a prairie on the dog in a uh, Mandalorian outfit? Is that <laughs> That's what, that is? what it looks like, I believe. I believe that is a prairie There's dog. It's a prairie dog in the Mandalorian. But he's taken off in his the helmet. Outfit. Uh, so he is a Mandalorian -aged, no more. Barrel-aged imperial stout, dark chocolate, cream-filled cookies, toasted coconut, toasted marshmallow flavor, and toasted almonds. There's not a thing wrong with any one of those things. I'm going to try and pour some more into my cup this time. All right. I, I just <laughs> want to say, first of all, not as thick of a mouthfeel as I was expecting, but every single one of those flavors you just mentioned are all present in a yeah it's, for. this is pretty big if yeah. you if you have drank a prairie stout this tastes like a prairie stout mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
These guys, I don't know what's going on there. Because, listen, I lived in Oklahoma City, and it was boring as all hell. It's boozy, too. There was nothing this exciting going on when I lived there. Mercy, it's only coming in at (laughs) 13.6. But it tastes it. It's it's got a boozy flavor, and I like it. This was not a cheap bottle. I want to say this is like $17 for a 12 Yeah, no, and it's got a a very, uh, like, bourbon-y kind Mm -hmm. of... Mm -hmm. Uh, whiskey flavor to it that I, it hit me it hits me just right. It's fantastic. It's really good. And now we talked about some of the um, stouts and, and uh, porters that we've had on recently here, and described them as not being all that boozy. You cannot describe this in you, that way. No, this, <laughs> this smells is boozy. extremely boozy. Don't you think? Also, weirdly enough, look how much it sticks to the glass, even with without as much mouthfeel. As yeah. What's the, what's the ABV on this? Thirteen point six. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm, yeah a lot big <laughs> uh how would you rate this uh like just among your favorites in the genre like is this is this up there this is pretty darn good this is this is definitely so i so it's so incredibly rich that i think a bottle that's shared between two or three people is outstanding mm-hmm. i don't know that i could drink an entire one myself by yourself yeah because by the end this. of it that richness it's like a little it's like mm-hmm. a little too it's like I mean, chocolate mousse it's like i know i much. could i just don't know if i should right, right. absolutely <laughs> well i mean i've been known to drink a bomber of yeah. brother Thelonious before <laughs> with varying results at the end but you know <laughs> brother Thelonious indeed now i just want to mention uh and i think i mentioned this on the show i know i told you off air ian uh, I was at uh, Platypus Brewing here in Houston recently, mm-hmm. and they have an Imperial Stout that is on their menu at the brewery, but is not one they offer uh, to the general public. And I'm telling you guys, it's worth going to oh, Platypus to for. It, it is so freaking good. Uh, it's just like outstanding. And I told them, you guys got to release this. This has got to, the general public must taste this. Uh, it was really, really tremendous. Um, it was not boozy like this, but boy, was it delicious. And it was uh I, don't know, I think about it now every time I have a stout. It doesn't have to be boozy to be delicious, but I do like the booziness in this. I actually mm-hmm. kind of like that it has that. It's kind of like, you know, some drinks you want to taste a bit of the alcohol, like taste a little of the bite. Um, and I think that this comes across that way. It's really nice. Yeah, now, I mean, I think when you're dealing with a lot of these, like, sweeter adjuncts, you need that higher, mm-hmm. like, ABV to, like, balance that mm-hmm. that sweetness out. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, it makes sense. Now, let me ask you, Ian, the other one that you opened um, which was one of Chris's surprise beers from his. Is this a stout also? It is. Oh, yeah. So I wonder how it would compare if we had that real quick before the end of the segment here. I wonder how it would compare after trying this well, one. Well, you know, there's only one way to find out. It's funny you should ask mm-hmm. because what's happening right now mm-hmm. is that I am not pouring this one on the table either. Ah, uh, good, good, good to know. So you're pouring and passing. And what are we drinking? Is this community? This is, a, this this is, is from Lakewood. This is peanut butter uh, temptress. Okay. Yeah, you know this. this one. I think yeah. we've had we've had some of so their, be, they have a it, whole series of temperatures. Yeah. But it will and, be really interesting to see how this holds up uh next to what we just had. Yeah, I've, I've had all kinds of variants from them, raspberry and mint and chocolate and it's the first time I've seen peanut butter. But they, okay. they tend to do a pretty good job. Uh, this you know, this has a um a peanut brittle kind of taste mm-hmm. to it. There's kind of a saltiness to the flavor on this. It I think is, they said there's literally sea salt in it, right? It mm. is not as boozy. Mm-hmm. It is not. Ale brew with lactose, sugar, and vanilla with peanuts, chocolate, and sea salts. Nine yeah, 9.1%. See, I happen to think that the greatest candy ever invented is the Reese's peanut butter, not cups, 
but either the Easter eggs or the Christmas trees that the they trees. put out at Christmas. Because those have this ratio of peanut yeah, butter to trees. chocolate that is 100% correct and perfect. And this reminds me of yeah. that. Uh, it's got a little more coffee to it, obviously, than that would have. But outside of the outside of the coffee, this is this man. Is... If they made the trees in a dark chocolate version, can mm. you imagine mm. that? Oh, yeah. mm. <laughs> the tr- why is the trees so good? Now I've had, uh, and the reason is because there's more peanut butter. It's mm. the ratio of the peanut butter yeah. to chocolate that gets it exactly right. And when you do a regular Reese's peanut butter cup, I'm not saying it's not good, but the ratio is different. There's more chocolate there and less peanut butter. Yeah, and it's the balance that uh, that works. So. Um, yeah, every That's, every we, Christmas, we every Easter, I get excited. Oh, and Halloween, they have the, the pumpkins. Issues. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, but the trees always win. We're known for that. We're smoking and toasting, and we will be right back. <laughs> Well, welcome back, and thanks for uh, being a part of the program today. This is uh, Smoking and Toasting, show number 232, and we are so glad to have you guys here. Or, I'm sorry, is it 232? Yeah. 220. 220. Have I been drinking this whole show? Is that, is that what's happening? <laughs> it seems like you have. It's show number 323. Is 23, what it actually yes, is. 323. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask. Oh, you know, Prairie. Before we, but, yeah. thank you so much, Mister. This is the way. Thanks, Prairie uh, Art Sales. So, uh, I was going to ask you uh, about this. I read an article uh, recently, uh, Chris. Before we let you go today, about the right way to order a martini, and the article says basically the first lesson is there isn't one, but it goes on to point out that you might get a very different martini if you order it the same way, at one bar versus uh, versus another, and I thought. Uh, I thought maybe we'd ask you, like, how do you, how should you order? What should you say when you're ordering your martini to make sure you're getting, you know, closer to what you want? I mean, it, just, it it's going to depend on the the end product that you want. Like, if it's someone like you, like, I'm gonna want it filthy. Yeah. Well, I thought you said you just had a little bit. Oh no, 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 not not the olive juice. Oh, I okay. A little bit okay. of vermouth, lots of olive. Oh, then yeah, like you just say, like I, you know, like a. Vodka martini shaken, like extra, extra dirty. And like, super, I, super easy. Like, it, where it gets more nuances when you're like, you don't know what you want. Like, if you're just like trying to be James Bond, you're like, I had like a martini. And then you have to like answer like 20 questions to get there. But yeah. I have some people that are like, oh, yeah, I want like a Bombay Sapphire martini, uh, six to one with a lemon. Like, cool, easy. You wanna, so, yeah, you can tell yeah, what they so want. Like, just, just kind of knowing kind of what you want or, even if you don't know what you want, like just trying different ways and figuring it out. But yeah, the more you can communicate the exactly what you want, the better. Um, if you're not in a place that has really talented bartenders and you're just willing to leave it up to them to make you a great yeah. drink. My wife and I uh, both like really dirty martinis, and we've discovered that saying extra, extra dirty sometimes gets the point across. I had a friend when I lived in Philadelphia, his wife loved dirty martinis, and she used to say, when ordering, she used to say, I want it so dirty there's still lipstick on the glass. That was that was the way she communicated how much, uh, you know, olive she Me wanted. Me and my wife her. went out the other day, and she got a martini, and she called the, the gin that she wanted. She goes, make it dirty. He's like, dirty? Yeah, real dirty. And I looked at him, and I said, naughty. Like, just downright naughty. <laughs> Filthy. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, are there other ways to, to communicate, you know, what you like? Because everybody's taste is going to be different, right? Yeah, and, like, the martini is such, like, an adjustable. It can go anywhere from, like, a 50-50 to just entirely spirit. Um, so the the best thing that I say is, like, if you're in a bar that you trust the bartenders, like, 
that's the point where you want to experiment a little bit more. Right. And have like, them suggest things. Yeah, like, yeah. And like, you know, if you're at a bar that you know has like quality vermouth that's kept well, like try a 50-50, try a two to one, like try, you know, just a splash or, or whatever. Okay. So next question and last martini question. Let's say I buy a bottle of vermouth, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm using it to just splash a little into my martinis. Once it's open, do I refrigerate it? Like Absolutely. One? And then how long is it probably good? Um, so it is fortified. So usually two, I mean, depending six weeks to two to three months. -ish. Would the same thing be true if I've got my olives and I get these olives at Specs that are uh, – Pimento soaked olives in, soaked in uh, vermouth, yeah. vermouth, yeah. And uh, is it the same for that? Are those good for probably a few weeks? Um, yeah, I mean, probably because they're going to use some more preservatives in the brine, yeah. like salt and things like that. So those tend to be a little bit more stable. I mean, vermouth is a wine product, so as soon as it's open, as soon as it's exposed to oxygen, it naturally, naturally degrades. The olives themselves are like sitting in a preservative brine, right. so they're meant to be there for a while. Well, this sure was uh, delicious. I loved this uh, this cocktail that you made for us here today. The sake was great. The beer was great. We really could have just uh, we could have not brought anything and just relied on you for the show today. So. Oh, that's, that's what I always say. Chris Morris, he's the show. It's always <laughs> it's always great to have you back on. Thanks for the Drinking News theme song. And, uh, and you know, thanks for just uh, coming in and talking cocktails with us every once in a while. Because I really know virtually nothing about cocktails. I have learned to make three, and I make them well. Yeah. I don't know what the fourth will be, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the search for my fourth cocktail that I'll try to make. So and once I master that, I'll add a fifth. That's there you just, go. That's just the way I'm going. But thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It is uh, always a pleasure to have you, and we're looking forward to having you at the anniversary show. Coming up on Smoking and Toasting, next week we are going to be live with Darnell from Emperor's Cut Cigars. He's been on the show before. They have a very boutique custom line of cigars that are awesome, and we'll be smoking them with him at the Cigar Exchange in Katy, Texas. So we'll be on location awesome. next week. I haven't been to that room. To have you been there before? I have not, and I'm very excited about going Fantastic. for the first time. Have a great week, my friends. We appreciate you being a part of the show, and uh, cheers, y'all. Hey. Whatever happens, don't leave it so soon. It's alright when it's okay Yeah, you never listen to anybody else